speak a word over you. You can be seated where you're at, and we'll dismiss our school-age kids to the back. Father Mr. Crenshaw back there. The rest of us, let me invite you to turn to the scripture that was just read in John chapter 14. As we've been walking through the book of John, um, we've come upon uh, the longest uh, teaching in one setting in the life of Jesus, longer than the Sermon on the Mount, longer than many other things. And it's this uh, communication that he is having with the disciples. Um, and uh, and it's this, this passage is just really rich as he starts with, let not your hearts be troubled. This has been a difficult week for a lot of people as we've watched the news of what's happened in Haiti, of what's happened in Afghanistan. Um, and it's easy to have a troubled heart. So I appreciate these words of Jesus. I told you um, the last time I was with my father, the last time I had a conversation with my father before he passed in the hospital room, this is the passage that he asked me to read. Great wise words in your most difficult days. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now to pan out a little bit and just see kind of what's going on in this passage. Uh, as Christians, we represent Christ to the world. And at Covenant, we want to represent Christ to our city. And Jesus is teaching his disciples how they are to represent Christ. After they leave this room, Jesus is going to leave them how they're going to represent Christ to the watching world. In just a few hours, Christ isn't going to be on earth anymore. He gives the longest teaching he'd ever given these disciples in this room on how exactly to best do that. And it starts in, uh, last, last week we looked at John 13, that you represent Christ by serving others. The flag that we fly as a Christian is a towel that we use to serve others. And then here he's going to really, the teaching is you represent Christ by suffering well, by finishing well, by suffering through difficulty. James would later say that we're to have joy in the midst of difficulty. And the context, again, we're eavesdropping on this important and intimate dinner that Jesus is sharing with his disciples. on the night before he was to be crucified, the most important things from his heart he's sharing with them. You can imagine moms and dads, if you knew this was your last time to see your kiddos, what you'd wanna share with them, the things in your heart, convey your love, can convey wisdom for, for living and fulfilling your family's purpose. And this is what Jesus is doing here and the disciples had every reason to be troubled. Jesus had just told them that one of them was going to be a traitor. That all of them would deny him. And that he would leave them that night. This was his last night with them. All of this would legitimately trouble the disciples. Yet Jesus told them. And he tells them imperatively. When he writes this, let not your heart be troubled. It's an imperative. Like, 
Don't let it get there. Do not let your heart be troubled. So the atmosphere is a room and it's quite heavy. And then Jesus goes this, with this, do not let your heart be troubled. And the truth is that Jesus never offered us a life without trouble, but he promised that we could live and we could live with an untroubled heart in the midst of a troubled life. That we could have an untroubled heart in the midst of a troubled life. And I want to focus on the passage today under these two headings, hope for the future and practices for the present. Hope for the future, practices for the present. You don't have to be troubled, Jesus says, and he gives us some hope. Let me pray before we get there. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that you would illuminate it so that we could see it and hear it. Listen, not only with our ears, but with our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you help us see Jesus and see him high and lifted up? It's in his mighty name that we pray. Amen. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house were many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Hope for the future. In the midst of the most trying times in the life of the disciples, they were to be hope-filled. And Jesus is telling them how. That you can have hope in the midst of difficulty because this life is not everything. Because we remember that this is not the end of it all. This is really just the beginning. He tells us, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I love that, that Jesus is giving us some insight of what he's going to be doing. In my father's house, he says, are many rooms. I memorized this in the King James. It says many mansions. In my father's house are many mansions. Any of your translations read it that way? And I like that. Because a lot of my life, I grew up in a double-wide trailer, and I thought, man, one day, I'm going to live in a mansion. This thing is going to be awesome, right? The translation is really better translated dwelling places, but not when you hear dwelling places, I, my mind goes to like, we're going to be like floating in a cloud with Jesus. It's not that either. This is a very specific place, and the, and the point is that Jesus is preparing a place for us. A real place where the Father is already. And all who follow Jesus will have this actual specific place. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's this reminder, and this is the hope. It's a reminder that this world is not my home. If this world is not my home, then then Luke, how am I supposed to fit in here? Well, you're not a citizen adopting all the cultural practices of the earth, of the world, the culture of the world. It's not like we don't look just like them, but we're not a tourist either, just, just visiting a place to take from them and use the place, looking nothing like them. But I love Paul's word that we're an ambassador. We're sent on behalf of the master, of the father, to do the father's work, living here, 
but citizens of another country. Peter would take this in his letter. I know the youth started First Peter today. He's going to use this idea of citizens of another world or citizens of hope a lot. This world's not my home. I don't know if anything could bring more hope to an Afghani Christian right now than this one truth. That this world's not the end of it. That my life might be taken today or tomorrow as they're gathering on Sunday. Might be the end of it. But this gives them real hope. This gives hope for the future. Every one of these disciples, except for John, would die a martyr's death. And I believe clinging to this very hope. So Jesus reminds them we have this hope for the future. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my, mother's, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. One commentator said it this way, love prepares a welcome. And I couldn't help but think of every one of our kiddos that were born as Ashley was pregnant with them and you're waiting and you're looking forward to the sonogram, you're looking forward to all the things and is it gonna be a boy or a girl? And then you, then you have the prepping stage of getting the room ready. Many of you parents have done that. You're gonna get the nursery ready and you're gonna pick out colors and themes and decor because love prepares a welcome. Or maybe some of you are just this, have this gift of uh, hosting other, this great hostess as a hostess prepares for her guests. Jesus prepares a place for his people because he loves them and he's confident in our arrival. I'm coming back, not, not just am I gonna go prepare a place for you where you can hang out. I love that he says that I'm coming back so that you can be physically with me again. Isn't this great? Jesus doesn't just say that he's gonna like give us an Airbnb in heaven on, on the back 40. No, he's inviting us to be with him, that, that, that our dwelling place is attached to his dwelling place. Like we're going we're gonna to dwell together. The same God that crafted us in our mother's womb is designing our dwelling place for eternity. This is just so encouraging to me that the world is not the end. It's just, as David would say, it's a hand breath. It's just, it's a vapor. It's, it's just so small. I remember in college, I saw Francis Chan preach a message and he took this thousand foot rope. I don't know if you've seen this. He took this thousand foot rope and it was like weaving all over the little auditorium we were in. And he went over and he picked up the end of the rope and it had a little piece of electrical tape, you know, about half an inch wide on the tip. And he said, imagine the rope is eternity, but the tip, this little bitty piece of electrical tape, this is earth. This is your life. It's so small. But look at what we have in front of us, this hope for the future and in eternity. But he didn't just console their hearts with that, that I'm going to go and prepare. It's going to get better someday. That would be encouraging. And we can think about, and I love to think about heaven, that one day that we'll be in a place that doesn't have any tears or brokenness or sin or division or discouragement. One day there won't be anything separating my worship from the lamb that deserves the worship. It will be, can you imagine the worship? I love to worship. I love these new songs coming out, speaking into the culture of the day, lifts my heart. Jeff was singing earlier when he came in that song, Dry Bones Rattling. I, lo I love that. That's just, man, the, what, man, the power of God. 
I love that. Can you imagine the worship in heaven where no sin is separating, nothing to distract us, nothing to delude it? Just incredible. I love the song we sang uh, earlier today. Uh, first song we sang, the line in it was that Jesus is our hope in the shadows, our strength in the battle. It lifts my heart up. It lifts my soul up to think about the future and what God's doing. But he doesn't just give us hope for the future. He gives us practices for the present. And when you walk through difficulty, and you will, I want you to remember these four words. I actually want you to write them down. If you've got something to write with, I want you to write them right there. This is how you fight for joy in the midst of difficulty. We're all going to walk through difficulty. If you're not already, you're going to. These are the four words that I get out of this passage of looking, seeing, listening, and believing. We're going to try to go through them pretty quick, but looking, seeing, listening, and believing. Jump back in with me in uh, verse 4. Jesus says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know the way where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Then Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's going to be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works then these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. There's so much going on here. Several months ago, we took time as we were going through the I am statements of Jesus. We focused just on that I am statement, I am the way, truth, and the life. You can go back and find that on our podcast. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But I want to look at these practices for the present. And the first is this practice of looking. Thomas is looking for a destination. Jesus, we don't know how to get there, man. Tell us. He's looking for a destination. Philip is looking for the Father. He says, Jesus, that's okay. You got to go, man. We're broken. It's, it's okay. Just show us the Father. Show us the reward. Jesus has just said, no one gets to the Father except through me. And Phil thought, as most of us would, that God is playing some kind of cosmic hide-and-seek. Your kids ever played hide and seek very poorly and they're hiding like with a pillow over their face, very evident and easy to find. Somehow Philip is saying, okay, God's playing hide and seek. Jesus, just tell us where he's at, man. We'll go find him. He just asked a very pragmatic question. Where's the father? Show it to us and it will be enough. This is the Greek word enough where we get the word satisfied or satiated that's all we want if you just show us we'll go find them in other words Philip is asking where's the reward he wants the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow Thomas wants to know how to get there Philip wants to see the reward of getting there and both of them are missing it 
Listen, we're all looking for something. This is the nature of the human condition, looking for something to make us whole, looking for something, looking for a home in a sense. There's an atheist author that wrote a book about navigating difficulties in life who starts off confessing he's an atheist. He says this, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. It's the nature of the human condition. We were wired to spend eternity walking with God. But it's not enough just to look. You've got to look in the right places. You've got to notice and take it in. You know, when we walk through difficulty or trouble, when we walk through pain, we all look for things to deal with the pain, to satisfy the pain, to numb the pain, to deal with the pain. Jesus had just told them some hard things. They had already experienced some hard things, harder things still to come. They had no idea. But in that night, around that table, they felt the weight of the difficulty that would be to come. Jesus would say later, he actually ends chapter 14 with another verse saying, let, your, uh, let not your hearts be, a trouble, be troubled or let them be afraid. In chapter 16, we'll get there in a couple weeks. He says, hey, in this world, you're gonna face trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The question is, friends, what do you do to deal with the pain of difficulty and disappointment? What do you do? When you don't get the job, when your kids aren't acting like they're supposed to, when your spouse is mad at you, when you get the bad report from the doctor, what do you do to deal with the pain, to cope with the pain, to distract you from the pain, to numb the pain? We all have an outlet. We all have learned how to cope. Some of us is eating pints of ice cream. Bluebell, to be specific, vanilla, homemade vanilla with a little chocolate on top. For others, it's playing video games for hours on end to try to distract us. Others, pornography. Some binge watch entire seasons of television. For some people, it's drugs or alcohol. For some, it's shopping. It's that one click to purchase button on Amazon. Man, I hate that thing. And I love it. Some throw themselves into just working harder and harder, chasing after new experiences. When difficulty comes, friends, what do you run to? What do you look to? What do you put your hope in? Is it politics or conspiracy theories? Is it the next great savior? Jesus is reminding them at this table, hey, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. Look to me. I want you laser focused, friends. I want you focusing on me. So when you walk through pain, you look to Jesus. And Jesus is the sympathetic high priest. He's like, oh, I get it. Your friends betrayed you. They betrayed me too. Your friends stab you in the back. They stab me in the back too. You were deserted. I was deserted too. Looking, but not just looking, seeing him. There was a lot of people that looked to Jesus, but not many that actually saw him. How many times was he in rooms with the Pharisees and they were like, you know, they, they, they were arguing with him and trying to kill him. They, they saw Jesus. Even Judas at this very table who had just been dismissed saw Jesus, heard Jesus, spent his life with Jesus, but he didn't really see him with eyes of the heart. 
That's why Jesus keeps asking them, haven't you seen me? Philip, don't you know me? Haven't you seen the works themselves? Where have you guys been the last three years? How have you missed this? You've already seen the Father. You've already found the destination. Jesus says, it's me. Don't focus on the destination and miss Jesus. Don't focus on the reward and miss Jesus. Jesus is both of those. He's the destination. He's the reward. I love that even in Jamie's story. And I didn't know all what she was. I haven't heard a lot of that story that she shared today. Just how she just learned to walk with Jesus. It's so tough for us. Because Jesus is doing things around us and we don't understand them. Can you imagine Joseph in the pit of prison for 17 years, falsely accused, every day saying, God, where are you, man? God had a plan all along. Joseph couldn't see it. All he could see was the darkness of the dungeon. And yet God had a plan. Jesus is telling them, it's not just enough to look. You've got to see. Seeing with the eyes of your heart, seeing with spiritual eyes. Many saw Jesus in John 9, but only one that we know walked away with his newfound faith because he saw Jesus with more than his physical eyes. He saw them with the eyes of faith. He says, it says in the passage, he saw and he worshiped. Seeing with the eyes of your heart. It's one thing for me to describe a movie to you. It's another thing to see a picture of the advertisement or the promo on the outside of the movie theater. And it kind of looks like, man, that'd be a cool movie to see. It's something completely different to see the movie because when you see it, you experience it, you feel it on a deeper level. Ashley tells the time in high school when she watched Titanic or maybe junior high, I don't know when that came out, and cried for three days in her room because it really impacted her, right? You're going to see it. And, you know, her mom's like, quit crying, Ashley. Didn't you know the ship sank? Yeah, but she should have moved over. There was room for him to get on there. It's more than just seeing with your physical eyes. It's seeing with your heart. It's one thing to go to a restaurant and see a picture of a ribeye. And you think, man, I bet that thing's amazing. It's something else to order it and it's sizzling in front of you and to taste it and partake of it. I remember we were with Ashley's parents one time when my kids were probably five and six and we took them to a breakfast place when we were on vacation and they had never had chocolate milk. Isn't that amazing? We're good parents. We didn't give our, chocolate, our kids chocolate milk until they were five or six. Well, her parents thought that we basically were the antichrist for not giving them chocolate milk that long. And so they ordered their first chocolate milk at this beignet place. And I have a picture of Ellie enjoying chocolate milk for the first time. It's one thing to hear about chocolate. It's another thing like, you know, to experience it. And this is the words that, that John is using when it comes to seeing Jesus. When Jesus says, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. To see it with your heart, to see it with your whole body. John gives us some insight into this in chapter 20. And we're not going to go through the whole thing. We'll get there eventually, but... He's describing how the disciples saw the tomb for the first time. If you remember that, the ladies went to prepare, uh, you know, the, the spices and, uh, and the tomb was empty and they run back until the disciples. And it says that Peter and John blasted out of the room. And John being the younger one, it says, which I think is kind of funny in chapter 20, that he got there first, just a little, you know, a little low brag. You know, I, I beat Peter there, the old guy. So John gets there first and it says when John gets there, he outruns Peter after they heard from Mary that he saw the tomb was empty. 
he kind of stoops and looks in from the outside, sees the tomb empty, and he uses the Greek word to just observe it. Like, I noticed that. I saw a tree on the way here today. Then Peter blows past John, goes right into the tomb, and again, another Greek word. He saw the grave clothes and the linen folded. John used a different word, not blepo, which is just to see what she used the first time. This time he uses thiero, which means that Peter saw it and he was theorizing. He was trying to make sense of it. Like when you see a, maybe a math problem or a puzzle, you're trying to make sense of how it all works. Theor- he's looking intriguedly. He's putting the pieces together in his, in his mind. But then John also comes inside the tomb and it says this of him in chapter 20 that he saw and believed. Yet another Greek word, I love how rich the Greek language is. Another Greek word for seeing, which means he sees it with his heart. More than just stating a fact, it was more than just trying to explain it. He believed, he was there, he was a part of it. It was rich to him. And this last word, idon, is the one that he's using here. To say, who Jesus is using here would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's not just about looking from afar or knowing facts, although it's important to remember those things and the promises of God, yes, and amen. But it's, it's more than that. It's, it's seeing with the eyes of our heart. It's the thing that Paul would pray for the church, that, they would, that their eyes would be enlightened, that they would be able to see with the eyes of their heart. Looking and seeing and then listening. I know we're running out of time. Listening. Verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you. This idea of listening. They would use that phrase to draw people's attention in the middle. You know, you might use it when you're kids, when you use their middle name if they're in trouble. Like, you better, you better listen up. Jesus is is saying, hey, lean in. This is the, don't miss this. Truly, truly, I say to you. He's always saying things like this. Truly, truly, he who has an ear, let him hear. Jesus had so much to say. And he had to be discouraged that the disciples were not getting it. Jesus knows he's about to leave. He knows the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. He knows they don't get it. He knows Thomas is saying just, you know, how do we know? How do we know the way? And Jesus is like, where you been, man? Everyone in the room knows that there's different ways to listen to something. Maybe you've been accused of selective hearing or hearing what you want to hear. It's amazing to me how we do this. Ashley jokes all the time that there's a difference between um, summer mom and school mom. Summer mom is just like fun and go to bed when you want to. A couple of weeks ago, she took their kids swimming at midnight. I've been asleep for two hours at that point. Like, that's a, that's a fun mom, right? I still got to get them to go to work next day. But now school started. And so we're sitting on the couch last week about 8 o'clock. And she's like, all right, y'all make sure you brush your teeth. Y'all make sure you shower. And nobody moves. And she's telling me, oh, hey, make sure, you, uh, make, sure you brush, make sure you shower. Make sure you brush your teeth. Nobody moves. She's getting a little louder. But they're just, just doing their own thing. They're used, to, they're used to summer mom. And then she looked at me and she just looked with this like defeated face like nobody's listening. And then I have to stand up and raise the voice. Kids, first time obedience. And of course, boom, scattered, right? Like the foot is down. 
This is the way to really listen. There's different kinds of listening. Jesus is saying, hey, hey guys, lean in and I want you to really hear what I'm saying. It says in verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I'm doing. And I wish we could spend more time here. We could look back to Proverbs. So much about listening. But let me just say this, friends, be careful who you listen to. Everyone has a solution. Everyone has a quick fix. Everyone has an opinion. 99.999% of them are not the way of Jesus. That's why I love that we can just tie our beliefs back to the Bible. What, is the, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Then the fourth thing is believing. Looking, seeing, listening, now believing. Seven times it talks about believing in this very passage. It's not enough just to have looked or just to have seen or just to have heard. We've got to believe. We've got to really listen to it, to keep it close, to take it, to apply it, to cherish it. Not enough just to hear it, just to listen to it, just to take it in. We've got to act on it. Jesus said in Luke 8, verse 15, in the parable of the sower, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold fast to it in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience to hear it and to hold on to it and to allow it to work in and through every part of our life and to do it with patience. Again in verse 12, very truly I say to you, listen, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And then he adds a qualifier that you will do even greater works. We're going to learn about this next week. The Holy Spirit coming, the paraclete, the one that's coming to help. Whoever believes in me will do the work that I've been doing. Now, I think this plays out on a few different levels. On a head level, we get it. Oh, I get it. Okay, I need to look and I need to see and I need to listen to the words of Jesus and remember his promises and I need to believe them with my heart. I need to, I need to place all of my weight on Jesus. We get that on a head level, but what about a heart level? After we've heard and we're convinced and overwhelmed with all that Jesus is for us and in us, maybe we would even respond with real conviction. Maybe we've been looking to the wrong things. Maybe we've been seeing the wrong things. Maybe we've been chasing after the wrong, we've been listening to the wrong voices. We've been believing in the wrong things. And then eventually in our hands, that we actually do something about it. Friends, let me encourage you. As you walk through difficulty, and you certainly will, write these little words on the inside of your Bible and just evaluate your own heart what am I looking to? What am I gazing upon? What am I fixing my eyes upon? What have, I, what have I seen? What am I remembering? What of the truth of God have handles on it where I can grab them quickly when I need them the most? 
What am I listening to? Really, what am I listening to? The reason the church of Jesus Christ in the West is not having the power that it should have is because we're being discipled by the culture. We're watching thousands of hours of everything but, but the words of Jesus. We're watching all the news sources. It's not wrong to watch the news. We're talking to all the experts, and it's not wrong to talk to the experts. We're listening to all of our friends, and it's not wrong to listen to our friends. We're listening, we're, 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 we're researching all the things. It's not wrong doing the research. But those have to be so far lesser. We've got to let the words of Jesus, of looking to Jesus and seeing Jesus be the, be the banner over everything, be our ultimate authority in our life. And most of us just, it was so convicting this week to look at the Afghan church. Wasn't it? My heart went out for them. We've got a lot of missionaries on the ground still there, and they're giving reports back to us and ways that we can pray and how the believers are isolated, but how they're still gathering even today. The one pastor that said, we're going to gather Sunday, and we're probably going to die, but we're going to gather. And look at the church in the West, and we're like, well, you know, we're going to gather if, if it's convenient, if we want to, if we can make it, if we don't have a ball game, if it's not pretty outside, all the excuses that we would lay down. Church, we have, we have missed the essence of what it means to really walk with Jesus, to really stand with each other. We're playing these religious games and we're wondering why we don't have any power. We don't have any power because we're not spending time at the feet of Jesus. We're not listening to him. We're not walking in confidence and boldness from what he's telling us. We're supposed to be an alien in the world, a, a, a peculiar people, committed to eternal things, and at the same time suffering well, bearing the burdens of our brothers and sisters. If the same kind of persecution came to America that came to, the, to, to Afghanistan this last week, I don't know what the church would do. I don't know where it would be. I know the church over there is growing. It's incredible to see it grow because they're spending time at the feet of Jesus. They're looking to him. They're seeing him. We're going to do communion a little different today. I'm going to invite Phil up. And what I want you to do is just in a few minutes, we're going to come and uh, get the communion cup and then go back to your seat. I want us to all take communion together. So you're going to come get the little cup that's got the wafer and the juice in it, and you're going to come back to your seat, and we're going to walk through this. Let me pray for us. And after you get the cup and you return, I just want you to think about these four words. Looking. What am I looking at? Just this week, just, just, give the, just, give, just count up the number of hours in your own head. How much time was I being discipled by the world, by the, by the news, by the research, by the YouTube, by my friends, by all the, how many times was I being discipled by the world and how much was I really being discipled by Jesus? At the feet of Jesus, listening to his word, listening to his word being sung, talking with friends about the word of God, confessing and repenting to friends so that we may be healed of sin. What are we looking to? What are we seeing? What are we listening to? What, what voice is the loudest voice? Jesus said, my sheep know me and they hear my voice. What are we listening to? 
And what are we believing? Are we really believing that our greatest hope is here? The next president or political leader, the next law that's passed, the next season that's to come, how guilty are we of saying, man, the next season's gonna be great. God, I love you, I just thank you for today. Lord, I pray that you would pierce our hearts with your truth. Lord, sometimes we need to hear a hard word. Sometimes we need to hear a word that brings conviction. And you know that, your spirit, some of us just need, we just need encouragement today. We're just so weary and so beat down. We're not ready for a hard word. I love that, I love, I, I love, Lord, that your spirit does this, that you speak to us. It's in your kindness that actually leads us to repentance. Lord, would you continue to speak? I'm sure there's some in this room that don't know you as Lord and Savior. Today would be a phenomenal day of salvation. Lord, would you, Holy Spirit, begin to work in their hearts, even now drawing them to yourself. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray, amen. Phil's gonna play in the background. If you just get up, when you're ready, pray as long as you need to, and then go grab your little cup and return to your seat, and we'll take communion together in just a few minutes.